0: Hi, everybody. Just a note from me, Rhiannon, to say that my new supplements company, Hurrah, is finally here. It's taken years to get this off the ground. Retrition Plus is evidence based, rooted in science, focused on you, and we offer vitamin D sprays, folic acid spray, and a vegan multivitamin. So head over to retritionplus.com for supplements you can finally trust. Hello, thank you so much for tuning into this week's Food for Thought, a podcast that's on a mission to equip you all with the evidence-based advice that you need to live and breathe a healthy lifestyle. I'm Rhiannon Lambert, a registered nutritionist, Sunday Times best-selling author and founder of the Harley Street Clinic Retrition and evidence-based supplements, Retrition Plus. In each episode of the 12 episodes, I'll be joined by guests, all of whom are experts in their field. So together, we can learn fact from fiction, empower ourselves to become the healthiest and happiest versions of ourselves with trusted expert advice. Most people who have ADHD don't know that they do. It's only being spoken about more recently with only 3 to 4% of the adult population having had a diagnosis. Now, over the years, many potential anecdotes and management strategies appear on the internet such as dietary interventions that have been suggested to help alleviate symptoms or even prevent the onset. How much of this is true? Well, we're going to find out, because in this week's Food for Thought, I'm going to be discussing this with registered dietitian Claire Thornton-Wood. We discuss how what we eat can impact our abilities to remain focused, as well as delve into the research we currently have on dietary choices and their influence on ADHD. I hope you enjoy this episode. I was buzzing to record it. Hello, Claire. Hi, Hi, Rhiannon. Thank you so much for joining us. This conversation, I feel, is one that hasn't actually been, well, it's not really in the forefront, I think, in mainstream conversations, especially the nutritional element uh, at the moment. So perhaps we should start by saying how diet does impact our focus throughout the day. Yeah,
1: I mean, I think um, diet is is really important. Everything you eat has a a real impact on how you live your life, how you feel, um, your short-term health, your long-term health. Um, And undoubtedly, yes, if we haven't eaten well, or we're not well hydrated, we're going to feel tired, we're going to feel sluggish, and we're definitely not going to be performing at our best, either mentally or physically.
0: Absolutely. And I suppose, perhaps let's explain for our listeners. So how can we How can we eat to regulate perhaps our blood sugar levels? Because I know, for instance, you know, I call it the blood sugar roller coaster in the nutrition clinic um, about how clients can work on what they consume to keep that under check.
1: Yes, I mean, our our blood sugar levels do play a a really big role in in helping us to sort of remain focused and and in peak form in, in all respects during the day. I don't know, not many people may be aware that about 20% of all of the energy that we consume by the body is actually used to fuel the brain. Um, I mean, that's something that I I talk quite often about in my clinics. Um, So specifically, the the glucose we're talking about comes from the breakdown of the carbohydrates that we eat. And that might be um, those that people would usually think of as carbohydrates, so bread, rice, potatoes, pasta, um, the amounts that come in cakes and biscuits, but there are also smaller amounts of carbohydrate in things like fruit and vegetables. And what's really important is that you eat these regularly. So you eat a source of carbohydrate regularly so that you can ensure that your body has a, enough glucose constantly circulating in the blood. Um, so I mean, if you don't eat enough carbohydrate, particularly if you combine this with um really high levels of physical activity or really hard manual labor, then you're likely to feel weak and tired and, um, sort of, you know, fuzzy headed really. Um, it's probably important to say, though, that the body is well adapted to manage its blood glucose levels um, using a combination of insulin, which we release from the pancreas, and then glycogen, which we store, which is then um, released in at times when we're perhaps, you know, not consuming enough carbohydrate. Um, but, you know, the, the body does have limitations around that. Um, and the the only people that that doesn't really apply to are, are, are people who have diabetes who have you know different different requirements.
0: Of course, of course, um, type one or type two diabetes, you know, definitely a different a different um, ball game there altogether. But it's it's very interesting, of course, that twenty percent, as you said, is used towards our brain and our focus. Now, let's bring that towards the subject of ADHD. First of all, could we explain what ADHD is, and perhaps. Would this have a role to play? Yeah,
1: so ADHD is um, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. So we'll shorten that to ADHD because it's obviously quite um quite long winded. Um, it's a mental health diagnosis. Um, it has kind of three. Um, ways that it sort of manifests. So it can can be hyperactivity and very impulsive behaviour. It can lead to inattentiveness um, and it can be all three of those. So um, people with ADHD typically have um, difficulty concentrating on tasks or they might have trouble sitting still for long periods it affects both adults and children and actually what what we're seeing now is possibly more people being diagnosed a bit later on, so being diagnosed in adulthood when in fact they may have had it for some time. Um, It is generally though diagnosed in in childhood and um, it generally requires that the symptoms are there before um, you're the age of 12. Um, So if you have ADHD, common difficulties that you might um, You might find would be you have difficulty beginning tasks Uh, you have difficulty remaining focus on the tasks that you're trying to complete you could be disorganized Um, you could have problems around excessive fidgeting or talking you might run around at inappropriate times so for instance um, in children that might be you know if everyone else is sitting quietly in the class or sitting in assembly the child might be suddenly running around the assembly hall or, or running around the classroom. Um you often will interrupt others when they're talking um and particularly in children, you might have some kind of impulsive behaviors so that actually could be quite dangerous, like suddenly running out into the road um so about five percent of the child population are diagnosed um It's more common in boys than in girls um a ratio of about um two and a half to one um we don't know what causes it, but we do know that it does run. Um, it does run in families.
0: It's very interesting that a lot of cases, I think, these days of ADHD are not picked up on until adulthood. As you said, people are suddenly realising more and more that this was something they had when they were younger and it's good that there's more awareness around it and i've read that there's some research from the fenigold is it the Fenigold diet is that, is that the one could you divulge um what research we have there
1: yeah i mean interesting you say about being diagnosed in adulthood literally last week i was with a group of people and somebody said as a kind of throwaway remark oh i'm i'm looking into getting diagnosed with adhd and actually Quite a few people started to laugh, and then the, the person turned around and said, No, actually, I'm genuine, you know, I mean it. I, I am, and of course everyone apologised. But I thought it was just, you know, interesting. I mean you know, this this was an adult, not a not a child.
0: No, and I, I think um just before we do go there, I think there's a lot of throwaway sentences all the time. And I think people do it like, oh, I'm yeah, that's a bit O C D. Or oh you must or oh, that's a bit ADHD. It's not okay actually. I think we do need to be careful with our language because these are things that people live with. And um that's a show of the times. So we need to start changing our language and how we discuss these things.
1: Yeah, no, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean the person wasn't wasn't offended, but it was a it was an interesting um kind of you yeah, know exchange between between people. Um so going back to the, the Feingold diet, so it was around in the 1970s and it was developed by um, a chap called um, Dr. Benjamin Feingold. And he originally devised a diet for um, children who had allergies. But as a kind of co-finding in that, he noticed that these children had improvements in behaviour, which came as a kind of additional benefit to um, anything they might have experienced around the allergies. Um It's a very restrictive diet. Um, It it excludes any artificial colours, artificial flavours, sweeteners, preservatives that contain butyl and foods and medications that contain salicylates. Um, So if we take first of all and look at the food groups that contain salicylates, that's a really, really big group of food. Um, It includes a good number of fruits so things like apples, grapes, oranges, tomatoes, peaches, um, lots of vegetables um, and that includes things like peppers, spinach, sweet potato, courgette. Um, Some of the spices uh, cinnamon, ginger, mustard, rosemary, thyme and tea, coffee, diet drinks and fruit juice and Other kind of smaller groups like jam, jelly and any foods that contain colours or additives. So I don't think anyone would disagree that if you follow that diet, you are really restricting your um, intake hugely. Um, And I think that brings with it quite a few concerns, really. So it is definitely very restrictive and it can lead to um, deficiencies in vitamins and minerals. Um, and it can lead to poor growth, you know, particularly in children. Um, also, it can arise um, a lack of enjoyment of food, really, and feelings of guilt when you might eat some of those banned foods. Um, and FineGood also recommended that we cook everything from scratch, and that's not always going to be easy for a for a busy family. Um, there is, anecdotally, a little bit of evidence of success with a diet, but... Any kind of scientific um, research doesn't really support that. And I think what we need to remember is that behaviours in a small number of children might improve by removing some additives. But actually, that doesn't require this huge restriction of this fine gold diet.
0: Yeah, it, it's it's very, very restrictive. And uh, I think maybe there's obviously research. We need a lot of research in this area now to, to happen because we, we clearly don't have enough. So as there does seem to be some research there, what about things we can do without it being too restrictive? Is there anything to do with perhaps omega-3s? I know there's a lot, there's a link between brain health and omega-3s there. Is there anything we can discuss? Yeah,
1: definitely. Um, There has been um, some research on um, omega-3s and the benefit of supplementation in people with ADHD. I mean, I think we actually know that, you know, anyone even without ADHD needs to make sure that they're getting their um, their, their correct amount of, of omega-3s. Um, I mean, there is more research needed to confirm the dose and the benefit. And it's not really a treatment as such, but it can be used as a kind of, you know, something that you use alongside maybe any other treatment that you're having. Um, so a good tip probably is to think about having two portions of oily fish a week um and also including other sources of omega-3 like walnuts or chia seeds using rapeseed oil as your cooking oil of choice um ground flax seeds you can obviously add those into yogurt you can add them into porridge you can add them into soups um and think about using some omega-3 enriched foods like and um, certain brands of eggs some milks yogurt bread and spreads um
0: so i think yes there is a role for omega-3s potentially that's brilliant news because um, I think it's something that we do all need to be thinking of as a population anyway on top of that. And we often get clients actually in the nutrition clinic and sometimes their gut health is impacted. And I don't I don't know if this is partly to do with the sometimes the physical activity or the alertness and perhaps stress, subliminal stress impacting the um the vasal vasal nerve maybe it's impacting gut health I don't know if you see a link with gut health and uh, ADHD
1: I mean I, I do I do see see some yeah some people who have got gut health issues I'm not I'm not sure I'd say that I think it's necessarily any more prevalent in those people with ADHD but I guess if you've got any kind of you know condition going on often it does impact your your gut health in some way
0: yeah and I guess it's a psychological condition as well ADHD so surely um, the relationship with food is also a key concern here because um, for instance we have a lot of all or nothing mindsets which come up a lot in the clinic but it can cause some clients immense distress um, when it comes to their dietary choices every day.
1: Yeah definitely I think um Particularly if you sort of take it in the in the context of a, of a family, you know, a, a child with ADHD can be um, really quite difficult to manage in a family environment, particularly if they have additional, you know, food needs as well, that they, they need particular types of food or they find it difficult to sit at the table. Um, I think, yeah, I, th- I think it, we should never underestimate the impact that um, having ADHD has. Both on yourself and also the, the, the people around you, whether that's your siblings or your or your parents or your, or your partner.
0: A lot can happen in the next three years. like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. but what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Absolutely, 100%. 100%. And I guess, um, are there any dietary recommendations that you would say differ between adults and children? Perhaps it's sugar. Does sugar come into play here? A lot of people crave sugar. Is that something you've seen? I think,
1: I mean, if, if you look at adults and children, people often think of, of a child as a mini adult and, and it's important to always think that isn't necessarily the case and, and children often have really quite different requirements nutritionally to adults even outside of the, the fact that obviously, you know, that their calorie needs are different. To go back to, to children and adults, children are still growing so when we're thinking about making any kind of restrictions... We have to be, you know, super careful in children that we don't do anything that's going to restrict their growth in any way. And then, if you think about sugar, I mean, there's plenty of information in, in in the press, really widely available. We know that we we as a nation need need to decrease the amount of sugar that we're eating. So I think I would say that overall, keeping an eye on sugar intake is something that everybody should be doing and if we can replace some of those high sugar foods with foods that are more nutrient dense then that is going to be um, a good thing for everybody it's interesting when we think about sugar and children and, and ADHD because there have often been links made but actually again that's not really terribly well supported by the research and I think what's often happened with um with sugar is that the times that parents perhaps think their child is affected might be at a party or something and of course that's a time when there's lots of sugary foods around but also it's a time when children are very excited anyway so it's not necessarily that the link with sugar and behaviour is actually correct but it just looks correct in that context
0: yeah, and I guess the age of the child. I mean, it, va- it varies vastly. Their development and their growth um, from you know ages naught to ten it's humongous. And uh, you're right, um, how they interact in different environments. I suppose diagnosing ADHD or spotting signs and symptoms for parents. Um, out of interest, um, what are the key symptoms that you would say parents should? should be looking out for or is there somewhere they can go to um get a sort of check if if they're concerned about their child or an adult listening that thinks they potentially may have adhd
1: yeah i mean i think as always your your first pulse of call would be your gp if you've got concerns either about yourself or your or your child um i think with children in particular quite often the um the 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 condition might be suggested by by schools. Um, schools are often a key in you know thinking about whether there's you know a child is having problems that you wouldn't necessarily expect. Um, but I think you know all the things that that we've talked about that we see. So you know if you do have a child that is really really struggling with their with their concentration um, and is really struggling to. Um, just kind of manage their life you know if if they're very disorganized if they do behave quite inappropriately you know there are lots of fidgeting and they're, they're running around a lot when you wouldn't expect it you know really difficult to sit still then yeah it's worth having a conversation with your with your GP. Um,
0: yes no absolutely it's so important to go um, to the right person to then get the correct information rather than stumbling through the internet and that vapid huge hole of um, information that can suddenly Mm -hmm. become a bit scary I think and and overwhelming now what about medication does medication have a big impact on appetite um is that something that we see a lot of for people with ADHD
1: yeah so medication is is probably one of the main areas where um People might come to consult a dietitian because um, a couple of the um, medications that are commonly used, um, I might struggle to pronounce these properly, but methylphenidate and dexamphetamine, um, they work by increasing the, the dopamine and the norepinephrine levels in the brain. Um, and They're both stimulants and increase um, the activity in some parts of the brain, the ones that control behaviour and the ones that control concentration. And this has the effect of decreasing the hyperactivity levels and impulsive behaviour. And you can get a couple of forms, one's instant and one's a slow slow release. Um, It's not usually considered something that you'd be on for a forever, but, but it, it's something that that can be used for a, for a period. Now it does have some side, they do have some side effects um, which directly impact on appetite. Um, so they often cause stomach pains and nausea and they just kind of actually tend to um, dull the appetite. I, I sometimes see children who literally just take these medications and they just never get hungry. Um, so what we then tend to think about is could we get away with using this medication um, only maybe during school days so that at the weekend the side effects are not there and we can kind of do a little bit of catch-up in terms of nutrition. Um, that's that's one thing that we often think about. We also think about can you have a really big breakfast, you know, a really sort of high calorie, energy-dense breakfast before you take the medication in the morning? um and again can you do the same last thing at night you know can you really stock up on the food before you go to bed or or have a slightly later later dinner um and then during the day it's thinking about trying to have you know small meals that are energy dense for lunch and for snacks sometimes we have to fortify food and sometimes we also have to use nutritional supplements if we really can't get anywhere but that's definitely a very um, common thing that, that, I, that I have to talk about with with people and it's a kind of balance really because actually that the beneficial side of the of the medication is often huge you know particularly when you're talking about um, school or, or, or going to work but you know on the flip
0: side then you've got this real difficulty around eating which is really difficult for people and that in itself can add extra stress Um, And as you said, it's so detrimental to children, a a crucial point in their growth, in their development. And then, of course, for adults, for instance, I've got a client um, who's quite vocal, actually, in the media about his ADHD journey. And he um, was on medication and was discussing how it really impacted his appetite. And he he had to kind of almost force himself to... to eat was how he felt so it can take the enjoyment aspect away a little bit from food which is also another um interesting area but I must take questions from our listeners now because we, we had a lot on this subject Claire and I think uh, a good one to start would be from um, Jackson who said are there any foods that we should avoid to stop us Developing ADHD. You now, I think Jackson, food's not going to make you develop it, but I will let Claire answer that one.
1: I think. I think the answer is no. I mean, there there are no foods that are linked to um, the development of ADHD. I mean, there's probably something we haven't touched on, which is food additives. Um, and I know we spoke about the Fine Gold diet, but that's a sort of whole thing in itself. But um, There is some limited evidence that food additives, so specific food additives, are linked to um, exacerbating ADHD symptoms. Um, And the best thing to do really is to um, keep a food diary and a behaviour diary and see if you can link um, having eaten particular foods with particular kind of behavioural patterns. Um, Fortunately, most of these... um, additives are things that well they're all really things that we 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 don't need they're they're generally um found in things like you know fizzy drinks and 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 sweets um so there's a whole kind of list of them like tartrazine sunset yellow that kind of things um and actually manufacturers are increasingly finding ways not to use those and to use um other other things instead but if any of those additives are um added to food and drink then they have to carry a really clear um warning on on the packet and that's kind of outlined by the food standards agency
0: which is yeah really important to touch on um yes and particular culprits uh tend to be i think for children things like squash or um you know drink they tend to be in drinks i think and obviously a lot of convenience food and it's always very important if you can if you've got a child with ADHD or equally if you're an adult and you want to check what you're consuming just have a look on the back have a look on the packet um even you can go- google these additives now and numbers if you're not sure of anything although maybe that's not the best advice I could have just said to google the number but listen to what Claire <laughs> had to say and <laughs> um that's probably the best way to go forward scrap what I just said um Georgina has said um she said, "I have ADHD, but I'm not on medication, and I still struggle with my appetite. That's really interesting. What can I do to help?"
1: Yeah, I mean that 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 is an interesting one. I suppose the 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 question is, are you know, are, are you consuming enough o- overall? I mean, everyone's appetite's different, and you also need to remember that you may eat differently on some days to others. Well, everyone does, according to how they're feeling um you know what 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 sort of activities levels they've been doing i mean i think if you if you're really concerned again i would say to to consult with a with your gp or another um another suitably qualified um professional but if if your appetite's small what you need to think about is packing a lot of nutrients into something that's small so if, if you need to um Increase your energy intake because you're into eating really small meals. Then try and think about adding a bit of extra fat to your food. So add some extra olive oil into your um, your salad or even into into any soup or, um, or in any kind of casseroles you might be having. You can add things like ground almonds to soups. You can maybe think about um, having some extra snacks. Sometimes people... Feel like they're never hungry. So if you're feeling like you're never hungry, it's important to maybe think about trying to eat something every three or four hours just so that you get into that routine.
0: Absolutely. No, really, really good advice. Think what you can add in, I think, is such a crucial message in the nutrition world. But especially if you have a small appetite and actually how you eat can impact how you feel. There's links now with um, the food we consume and our mental health and all of those lovely extras that Claire just mentioned, um, you know, olive oil, extra nuts and seeds. They're all good things that we want to be, we want to be bolstering up in our diet um, to begin with. And then the final question I've got here is from Alexandra, which I actually thought was really interesting because I don't know much about ADHD. I had to go back to books and have a look and though I couldn't find answers really. And I wonder if you'll know Claire, um, she said, "Can what we eat during pregnancy affect our baby's brain health and their ability to focus?" So I think she's trying to say, also, you know, how does somebody get ADHD? Is it preventable?
1: That is a that is a really interesting question, and I probably have to admit that I probably don't know the full answer. But obviously, we do know that the health of the of the mother does have you know some kind of impact on the health of the baby although we also know that the health of the baby normally comes at the expense of the mother so we know that the, the baby takes as much as it can you know sometimes leaving the mother a little bit depleted um, so I, I don't I'm not aware of any research that actually suggests that you can have a particular diet or or avoid particular things or eat particular things to um, prevent ADHD but um, it's certainly an interesting thought Um, I'll go and have a little... (laughs) A little uh, research on that
0: yeah no please please do I think um, I think uh, a lot more needs to be well needs to be done in this space anyway but I do find that a fascinating thought but not to put any fear on any pregnant mummies I know what it's like I couldn't eat anything in my two pregnancies so keep it down it's it's, diff- it's a difficult time and as Claire said your baby will take what it needs make sure you're taking your pregnancy vitamins and that's important um Yes. Anyway, so moving on to our fact or fiction round, Claire, are you ready? I am. (laughs) Okay, here we go. If you could answer fact or fiction to the following questions. Eating too much sweets causes hyperactivity. Fiction. It's not possible to cure ADHD.
1: Mm, That's a tricky one, but I would say... I would say fiction. You
0: can only really treat the symptoms. ADHD affects more men than women. Fact. Children should not drink fizzy drinks. I would say that's fiction. I mean,
1: obviously, you don't want to encourage children to be drinking lots of fizzy drinks, but it's not actually right to demonise or ban particular foods. And we know that children will on occasion
0: drink fizzy drinks brilliant answer wheat and dairy can trigger ADHD I think I'd probably say it's, it's
1: fiction because there isn't really enough good evidence to suggest that for instance a gluten-free diet is beneficial in these children and actually if you take gluten out of a, of a diet um, it can make the diet really restrictive if you think about all of the things that gluten is in you know wheat, pasta, bread, cakes, biscuits, um. And I think that what we need to remember is often people, particularly children who have um, ADHD, often also have um, ASD, Autism Spectrum Disorder. And actually, they may already have a restricted diet. So if you restrict that diet still further, then um, you are really going to potentially run into problems with them getting everything that they need. So final answer for that one, I think, is fiction.
0: (laughs) brilliant um well not not brilliant at all but it's good that we know that we shouldn't be following ultra restrictive diets now adhd symptoms are the same in adults as they are in children
1: i think fact i mean they may present in slightly different ways partly because actually adults have become very good at adapting and masking um but i think the underlying um tendencies are, are, are very similar
0: having simple carbohydrates can cause a low attention span. No, that's fiction. (laughs) Good, good, good. good. Um, Keeping a food and mood diary can help to identify trigger foods.
1: That's fact. That can be a very good idea.
0: The milk protein casein may increase ADHD symptoms. Again, that's that's in the same
1: sort of area as the um as taking gluten out of the diet um and there's limited evidence um that that's that that, that that's beneficial and again it comes with it a whole load of you know ideas about about restricting the diet and then are, are you going to get everything you need particularly if your diet's already restricted in some other way um, so I think that I would say I would say that that's, that's fiction as well.
0: And the final question: dietary interventions are the best management tools for ADHD? I, would, I feel like everything's fiction. I would say that's that's probably fiction. I mean they can
1: be used along alongside, um, but actually they're, they're not the main uh, way that you would that you would treat ADHD. And I think actually taken in the context of it, the better your diet is, the the better it is for your um, mental health and, and, and for your physical health. So actually anything that helps you with that is great, um, but that doesn't necessarily mean
0: it's necessarily going to um, improve your ADHD. Claire, thank you so much. That was a brilliant Fact or Fiction round. And I think you're right. I think a lot of things are fiction because... I don't feel like it's an area where we have tons and tons of research. It's so interesting. Um, and I, we're going to finish and conclude the podcast with a take-home message for everybody. And I suppose I suppose, mm, I would start by saying it, it is complex from, from what I've read, and I by no means know much about the subject at all, but it's a neurological disorder, and th- that means that it can impact individuals in in different ways so surely the healthy balanced diet that we stereotypically are advised to follow should therefore maybe potentially differ in different ways for individuals but ultimately it's a good staple to try and achieve perhaps is what I've gathered from what you've said in this episode I'd love to hear a, a take-home message you've got for our listeners perhaps any uplifting words of wisdom on what people can do or what can help that would be wonderful
1: yeah, I mean, I think you summed out really well. I think I think the starting point is make sure that you do have a a, a balanced, healthy diet, you know, as as, as much as you can, and, and that's the kind of cornerstone I think for everybody to to improve their physical and their and their mental health. I think if you find along the way that there are a few things that maybe do impact up, upon your ADHD symptoms, then. You know, you can think about maybe removing those, but you should always really, if you're um, if you're going to do any dietary restrictions, you should really consult, a, a you know, some kind of nutrition professional to, to help you with that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent. Claire, thank you so much for sharing your very precious time. Um, I know how busy everybody is these days. And where can we send all our listeners to to learn more about the work that you do and um, to get more information?
1: So you're very welcome to um, send your listeners to my website, which is www.claretw.com. I'm also a little bit active on Instagram, although probably not that much because I'm <laughs> so busy in clinic. Um, and again, I'm on Twitter, but yeah, not, not hugely because uh, yeah, clinical work is, um, is quite time consuming.
0: Oh, oh, it is very time consuming. You're doing a wonderful job and people are very, very lucky to have access to your expertise. Claire, thank you so, so much for coming on Food for Thought today.
1: Thank you for inviting me. It's been a pleasure.
0: If you're enjoying Food for Thought, hope so, (laughs) you'll love the upcoming episodes. So if you don't already, please subscribe. Make sure that you click to be the first to hear it each Monday. There's a lot of podcasts out there now and I really hope that we're maintaining the ultimate research and the ultimate guest to make sure that you're getting the best experience possible. So if you're having a good time and you're learning lots, please do leave a review if you can so we can reach those higher highs in the charts and ultimately get to reach more people that's what it's all about. And for more information about my best selling books, the science of nutrition, of course, deliciously healthy pregnancy, the Retrition Clinic, recipes, so much more, just head over to retrition.com and follow me at Retrition on all social media platforms Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube.